Welcome to Wharton Moneyball, our show where sports and statistics collide. Here, the podcast edition. We have the first ever, even though this is our 10th year anniversary on Wharton Moneyball, we have Ryan Floyd talking to us about lacrosse analytics. He's going to talk to us about what actually predicts winning in lacrosse games. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. This is Eric Bradlow, Professor of Marketing and Statistics here at the Wharton School. Today I'm joined by my two friends, longtime co-hosts and collaborators, Professor Shane Jensen, Professor Adi Weiner, both of the Statistics and Data Science Department here at Penn. Uh, Some combination of the three of us and Cade Massey are here every week on Wharton Moneyball. Adi, I've always said one of the best things about Wharton Moneyball is we get to learn about other sports and we get to also learn about the application of analytics to a whole range of sports. And today, I'm pretty sure in our 10-year anniversary month, if you'd like, we've never had someone talk to us about lacrosse analytics. And it's surprising to me because all three of my sons play lacrosse. Matter of fact, my son is at lacrosse practice right now. So I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to hear about lacrosse analytics. I'm, I'm actually amazed that we've never talked about lacrosse, considering it's a really popular sport, particularly among high school and college. And I think there's great data and it's just our, it's definitely our professional, um, our, our, our five main sport bias. So it's definitely great to do it. I'm not sure how much I can contribute, but I'm not in the slightest bit surprised that you know a lot about lacrosse. Well, I, I try to know a lot about a lot of sports, but um, we're lucky to have Ryan Floyd with us here today. Uh, Ryan's a lifelong lacrosse player. Um, he's also been now using data and analytics and lacrosse for coaching. Uh, so Ryan, uh, welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Thanks for having me. Well, let me first get started with maybe a basic question, which I don't know, maybe seems basic before we get to lacrosse, like, how did you get into learning about analytics so that you you know, a lot of people could say, well, we'll be more data driven about lacrosse, but you actually have to have some skills to do something. So where did you pick up your data analysis skills? Um, I've always been a fan of spreadsheets. Um, Grew up, my parents made a lot of spreadsheets. I work in finance, and I've always thought to myself, oh, that's a neat concept. Can we think about it in terms of data? Could we make a little graph or a picture to understand the concept? And then uh, I I love scatter charts. I love a good regression. I got the CFA, which kind of helps with statistics, but I'm kind of self-taught. I didn't take it in college or high school. So that's one good thing for our listeners out here. This happens with many of our guests, is that just, if I heard Ryan correctly, your full-time job you're not a statistician full time. You're no, not a soccer. No. You're not a lacrosse coach full time. You have a. Re- I hate to say it, not that that's not a real job, but you have a real job. And then all of a sudden, you you know now you're applying your analytic skills to a passion of yours. That's correct. Um, so why don't we get started? One of the things that's actually in your rundown here in the, the notes that were given to us is that. Um, you found a company that would convert the games into data. So just so we understand, before we get to the models, just to be clear, someone videotaped a bunch of lacrosse games, maybe of your youth U13 uh, league, sure. and someone converted that into data. Could you just tell us, before we even get into what you found or what you did, sure, sure. can you tell us about that process, about like, yeah. um, did someone do it by hand? Do they have some sort of AI engine now that can take that video data and just turn it into data. I'm just interested in that part of the process to start. Sure. So I was coaching in the Bay Area with my good friend, Joe Rosenbaum. The first year, we wanted some numbers. So we asked a dad on the sidelines who knew what he was doing to keep track of some statistics by quarter. He would run over to us by quarter with a little piece of paper and say, 
you know, this many possessions, this many ground balls, clearing was at this, this and this. And then it, we weren't winning. Our guys uh, were sort of upset. We were a little too nice. Uh, and we had some some trouble, I guess, with the way we were coaching. At the end of the year, we realized one of the parents had been filming all of the games. And a friend of a friend put us in touch with a company. The company doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Crossover or exist in a different way. Well, they actually, would take... Let me interrupt because Crossover was founded by a Penn grad. Uh, yes. You know it very well. He sold his company to Huddle. There you go. So uh, we got in touch with Basu Kulkarni. You probably know him. And I don't remember exactly how he met him. But he said, yeah, we can take this film. Uh, we'll download it. And they sent it out, I think, to former lacrosse players who were like college guys who coded every single play. And I think maybe some people in South Asia because he had a connection with guys in, I think, maybe India and Pakistan. Uh-huh. And it was pretty amazing. So this is in the off season before the next year. We then had lots and lots of data to figure out what was working and what wasn't working. And it was actually pretty surprising. It wasn't really what we expected. So just for our listeners out there that don't know a ton about lacrosse, let me fill in a few things. And Ryan will correct me, but I think I've got these two things. I'm no expert in lacrosse. Um, when Ryan talks about ground balls, um, this isn't like baseball in the sense of like a ground ball up the middle is a base hit. In lacrosse, ideally, everything would stay in the air, meaning my stick to your stick. So ground ball is not usually a good thing. It means someone's dropped the ball or they've had it knocked out of their stick. And then clearing means if I'm on the if I'm on defense, my job is to get the ball to the other side of the midcourt line or midfield line, just so people know, because the offensive players can only stay on one side of the field. So clearing is a big thing in lacrosse. You, I mean, the two major, let's call it defensive stats, and Ryan, you'll tell me in a second about whether these are actually predictive of winning, is how often do you get ground balls? How often do you clear the ball, et cetera? So the, just so our listeners know, those are some of the details of the sports of lacrosse, a sport of lacrosse. That's exactly right. In high school, our high school team uh, had on the back of the shirt GBWG, which means ground balls win games. So ground balls are very, very important because you're always dropping balls, checking it out of other guys' sticks, and it's the best way to differentiate yourself. It's kind of like rebounds, maybe in basketball. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not very well noticed, but it's really important. One of the things you mentioned was about, and both in your skill set and what you did was run a regression. So why don't we start with the beginning? Um, sure. You've got a regression model. There's a Y variable, the outcome you're trying to predict. And then there's a bunch of X's. Why don't we first start? Because I can imagine many different Y variables to choose from. What was the dependent variable or the Y variable you were trying to predict? Was it winning the game? Yes, no. Was it the final score differential? Was it, you know, you could predict lots of things. So why don't we start there? What is it that you were trying to predict? Good question. We tried different Y variables. One was if we won the game. One was if we scored a lot of goals. And then we realized uh, a couple things. One is that uh, we needed to use quarterly data because we didn't actually have that many games. We had 11 games and the N was just too low. But if we multiplied it by four, gosh, you have 44, you have 48 discrete data, pieces of data. Well, that's really powerful. So we, we, for Y, we used goal differential, and then the X variable was all kinds of things. We lined them up into two columns, and we compared our figures with, at the time, there really wasn't a lot of data in different, uh, different teams. So we compared our team against some Ivy League teams to see, are we doing about the same as other people? We found, in some cases, it was almost exactly the same. 
In other cases, it was totally opposite. So even with 10 or 12 games, when we multiplied by four, that was enough data to get us started. Yeah. Adi? Is there like a reset in lacrosse that you could divide the quarter down even further into something like possessions? And that Good would question. Yeah. So this was – uh, this is very important. It's called offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. We got the idea from Michael Mobison. I think you guys are, or he's a friend of the show. Yep. So he's written a bit about lacrosse. He played at Georgetown many years ago. We were inspired by his work. So offensive efficiency is goals as a portion of possessions. And really good in lacrosse would be like 50% and not so good is maybe 15%. And for defense, it's just the reverse. So one of the important variables was in the Y column, we would have goal differential. And then in the X column, we would have offensive efficiency. So if we're scoring on most of our possessions, I, th I forget exactly where it crosses the X axis, but it was something like if we're scoring on more than 38% of our possessions, then we're going to win. If we're scoring on less than 20%, we're probably going to lose. And there were sort of keys to that, but that was, that was very important, yes. How do you deal with the fact that, um, unlike in basketball, where when the other team scores, you get the ball, um, one of those frustrating things for us horrible sure. cross players is this thing called the face-off. That's so right. How does that factor, and just so you know, Adi, if my team scores, it goes back to the midline where um, – whatever you want to call what, what's the name of the player that goes into the face-off guy the fate the two face -off face -off guy team. sometimes it's just a midfielder sometimes you'll put a long stick if you can't win otherwise now it's called fogo face-off get off so yeah just you know, Adi, the guy that the person that does the face-off typically just wins or loses the face-off and then immediately runs off the field like sure. their specialist is just to gain the possession at midfield so how do you deal with the fact that you know you can't win the game if you don't have the ball that's right. My wife jokes around that I can kind of see guys that look like face-off guys from afar. They're like wrestlers. They're strong. They have yeah. strong forearms. And uh, it's a very important part of the game. Interestingly enough, as a wrinkle, the new version of the game called Sixes does not have a face-off. But yes, after a goal on 10 on 10 lacrosse, the ball goes back to the middle of the field. Funny enough is that face-offs really matter if you're horrible at it or if you're amazing, but if you're around the same level as the other player, it's really plus minus one or two possessions, which in lacrosse matters, but it is not really necessarily enough to win the game or not. But now there are so many good face-off guys that if you're not excellent at it, the other guy can win. We've seen games where uh, sometimes the opponent will win 90% of the face-offs and then it's like, make it, take it. That's a real problem. So I've got a bunch of questions for you, um, just based on what you said, yeah. Ryan. And again, we're talking sure. to Ryan Floyd. Ryan Floyd's a full-time finance person, but he's also a lacrosse, <laughs> lifelong lacrosse player and coach. And we're talking about his use of analytics uh, in lacrosse. Um, it's interesting that you used, not wrong, but interesting that you used, like in some sense, your benchmark as college level teams. Like, let's see what a good college level team, like what percent of the face-offs do they win? What's their offensive efficiency? as some mm -hmm. sort of benchmark, because otherwise, as you're pointing out, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like you can say, well, our offensive efficiency is 30%, 40%. Is that good? How do we know whether that's good or not? How did you choose that as like the relevant, we'll try to be as good as they could possibly be? It's a good question. We just wanted to see if we were in the ballpark. You never know. In youth sports, some things are completely different, right? I mean, 
you would never think that uh, the shooter's reflexes are proportional to the goalie. Maybe kids are scared of the ball, but in college they're not. Well, we found out things like shooting percentage, offensive efficiency was generally in a similar, uh, let's say, similar general area as college. And it helped us say, all right, we're, we're in the same ballpark. We both played in college at high level, and uh, the, the, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We found, however, that clearing, bringing the ball from defense to offense was an area that was completely different. So at the youth level, catching and we call it dodging, running through one or two people is very, very difficult. Whereas by the time you're 18, 19, you've played a lot, you can move it up the field with relative ease. So clearing became almost the most important thing for our team, and we practiced it over and over again. I always found it interesting. Now, we will get to the game of sixes in a second. I guess you guys, you called it sixes. Um, right. Should you have a player at X? And just so everybody understands what that means in lacrosse, it means it's a player, you're an offense, and you put a player behind the goal, both to pass the ball around. But if the ball goes out the end line, then the team of the player closest to the ball when it goes out the end line gets the ball back on offense. And if you have someone behind the goal, you're more likely to get it. But on the other hand, then you have one less offensive player in front of the goal. So I right. always wondered about this. Should you have someone at X or should you? would you rather have six people, six offensive people in front of the goal instead of five and one person behind it who's definitely not scoring from the X position? Sure. I actually played a lot at X during my career. I liked I liked catching the ball and having everyone turn around, and it was fun to pass from back there. Generally, the way you coach is that when the ball is up front, when it's in front of the goal, the guy at X should be at least at what's called the goal line extended, which means that he could catch the ball and shoot and score right away. As the ball moves around the side of the goal, he pops back to catch the ball and if he's not open, he does what we call in lacrosse is cut through. He gets out of there, and then another person catches the ball. You run it through X. X is kind of a special spot in lacrosse because you get the whole defense to turn their head, and the goalie also. So in coaching, often I'll just be screaming, through X, through X, because it's very tempting I see. Uh, to bring the ball down one side and then bring it up from that side. And that's very easy for the defense. They don't have to turn their head. Their back is never to their player. The goalie never has to turn. But once you get it through X and bring it through the other side, suddenly you can send cutters all over the place, and and it's harder to defend, at least in so, my opinion. So. so before we go to the defensive side, because I thought that was the most interesting, the way you had the other team shoot the ball, let me go to Adi and then to Shane. So Adi, please. Yeah, well, this is definitely in the weeds on, on the cross for me. But <laughs> listening to your conversation, um, Reminds me a lot of the early days of basketball analytics when Dean Oliver and sure. the, the basketball on paper and the possession-based four factors. Um, is there something like that for lacrosse? And if not, should I have students getting good data and trying to create that? I mean, what did you – the four factors – There are a handful of sources. So the NCAA codes each play. They have decent data on uh, quarters, but it's funny. They don't publish um, – I don't know why they don't publish possessions. So if you want to figure out a possession, uh, there are different ways to do it. But one is face-offs plus clears plus the other team's lost clears. So that's like possessions by quarter, but you have to do it manually. So if you're watching a game, you can kind of figure out from the scoreboard how many possessions they've had. So wait, can you, in the box score, can you get a good estimate of the number of possessions? 
just this way through clears and face-offs. Because that's it's how a, I mean that's how the the four factors is essentially done from from box score data. Is they don't they just look in basketball well how many shots, how many rebounds. How okay, many interesting. And they just use that with a it's a very simple formula and it okay. estimates the number of possessions and then they use that in denominators to turn the scoring, the rebounding, the turnovers, the free throws into efficiency scores. And then you can build a multiple regression mm-hmm. to kind of figure out how much these things matter. Um, this and- such such analysis exists. There's a really wonderful website. I, for, uh, I forget exactly. I think it's called Lacrosse Reference. There might be a hyphen in there. And they do a great job on a play-by-play and school-by-school basis. I think it's only for college. But they do a wonderful job calculating uh, these different ratios. But generally, it is in the early days. If you read articles about a lacrosse game, they rarely mention these figures. Uh, I watch a lot of of lacrosse on TV, and I'm going to tell you, I don't think I've ever heard an analytic (laughs) discussion. No, no, no. There's college lacrosse all the time on TV, Adi. You're looking at me. There's a a lot of lacrosse on TV, and you can watch the pro leagues and stuff. And since I have three sons that play lacrosse, I love the game. But you just, I just, it's unlike basketball today, baseball today, certainly NFL today. You just, I've never, I'm not sure I've ever heard an analytic sentence on a lacrosse broadcast. You're here. Well, we're changing it right now through this discussion. So uh, I love it. Yeah, there you go. I wonder <laughs> what it's going to take to, to change that because you say there is stuff out there. So what's been the obstacle? Is it to its its uh, its um, use? Is it is it potentially that no one showed the value in it? Is that I will say there's one. I'm good friends with Bobby Benson who coaches at Providence, and he uses these figures. We played on the same line in high school, and he was an amazing player and he's an amazing coach. He coached at Maryland. We enjoy going back and forth about these figures, but at least in my experience, it's not so widely used. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, here, here we are, we're building the yeah, future. Well, we're but I think that's a real opportunity. We're going to get done on Wharton Moneyball here. <laughs> you guys are changing the world. One, one lacrosse analytics discussion. So Shane, I know you wanted to jump in and then I have two final questions for uh, Ryan. Well, I guess uh, my kind of question or comment was going to be basically along these sort of lines of like, you know, obviously, I I think a lot baseball was very much aided by, you know, kind of some creation of some sort of wins above replacement, some kind of omnibus sort of like measure that would kind of allow us to kind of compare the different ways in which, you know, players contribute to scoring opportunities. And obviously you talked earlier about how you focus on kind of opportunity creation rather than the actual kind of like outcome of whether sure. there's up in the goal or not. So I guess basically how close would you, do you think, you know, the kind of collect the data that is the kind of possession level or play-by-play level data that you have out there, is it sufficient to create some kind of, you know, the lacrosse version of a wins above replacement statistic. And if I haven't not, seen this. And if not, what is missing, basically? It's a what good is kind of question. Missing? Lacrosse yeah. reference may do this, but in general, I haven't heard the goal equivalent or win equivalent player of a defensive midfielder versus an offensive attackman and or wins above a replacement for uh, this or that attackman. Um but it just suggests there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, I think there are a lot of things that the PLL could do and Division One lacrosse and other levels of lacrosse could do. Lacrosse is wide open. There are all kinds of things we don't know, which are really obvious. Like how we have these things called four on threes, which are fast breaks. 
not many people even know what portion of those go become a goal in practice or a game. Uh, these are like kind of basic things that it would seem that if you, you have people on the sideline. So he understands and he understands there's penalties in lacrosse. So he gets. Yeah, it, it would be like not tracking separately, like power play situations from regular. <laughs> we have that. We have extra man up, uh, data, which is pretty good, but not fast break data. Uh, yeah, I guess. Right, right. So, Ryan, let me ask you two last questions, maybe a minute each on a minute each. Sure. On these. Um, sure, sure. The first is tell tell our listeners here on Wharton Moneyball about how you encourage the other team, you tr- you teach your team how to encourage the other team to take shots from low probability areas. Good question. And this has changed a little bit, even in the last 20 years. Uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of things. One is to play defense very, very hard on the ball. In lacrosse, you have this thing called sliding, which is that it's easy to beat a guy, uh, kind of like in basketball, but then you have to help. Another player has to go help. It's not called a double team, but it's like kind of like a double team. But when that player goes to help, they leave another player wide open. And so the players in the backside, they have to do what we call slough off and or collapse around the crease. And that leaves other people open. It's usually on the backside. That's pretty far out. And so what we really taught everybody is that we wanted everyone to slough off their guy, which is this head on a swivel idea in lacrosse to pack it in so there aren't easy shots on the crease. But that means we give up easy shots from the outside. And we were just willing to say that because of these same figures, that if they're shooting on the crease to the open guy or if they're just running by our player with no slide, that's an easy goal. So we needed to slide. The controversy now is how about just have that defender so good that no one ever runs by that defender and that guy ends up shooting with someone on his hands. And that, that's even better if you could uh, do Yeah, it. that would be nice if you could get those guys. So maybe yeah. one last question I was going to ask you is, um, it, it's clear you have a passion for this. Um, it's changed you as a coach. It's sure. changed your excitement for the sport. And these are all wonderful things. But I'm going to ask you, maybe it's a strange question, but like since you also have a small sample size in your data, how do mm-hmm. you know that what you're doing has worked? Like, what is it that you look at that says, you know, because you don't have a thousand games. Like, this isn't an A-B experiment also where sure. you've got, like, let's randomly assign some of our time we'll do this and sometime this. We got before and after. You don't have any of that. So how, That's do you, right. how do you think about, well, what we're doing is working? Well, the clearing was the most obvious, where if we were clearing 65% and college, you clear like 90, 95%. So if we can... Uh, narrow that distance and then you're winning more quarters. That's, that's the obvious way. So if it's kind of like, well, the, I think it's maybe in sample out of sample, but in, in history, if you did it one way and we were losing and then we make this corrective and then in turn you begin winning. uh, Well, that's a sign of success. And we, Joe and I took a, it's a small thing, but we took kind of small sized team to, I think it was playoffs in this league in the Bay Area. It, we had a lot of fun doing it. And I think scoring more goals and winning more quarters is, is, a, is a great output that you can have by making these small changes. Well, Ryan, we'd like to thank you for joining us here on uh, Wharton Moneyball. We've been joined by Ryan Floyd. Ryan's a lifelong lacrosse player and the first guest ever in our 10 years of Wharton Moneyball to talk about lacrosse analytics. And he does it as a, it's not even his full-time job, if you'd like. It's as he's right. just doing it on the side, as many of us parents do. Um, but Ryan, thank you for joining us here. Thank on you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank Anytime. you for teaching us something about lacrosse and lacrosse analytics. 
So this has been one hour of our show here on Wharton Moneyball. On behalf of myself, my two colleagues, Shane Jensen and Adi Weiner, thanks to our producer, Matt Datz, thanks to our associate producer, Dion Simpkins, uh, some combination of the three of us and Cade Massey here every week on Wharton Moneyball. Between now and then, enjoy your statistics, enjoy your sports. We'll see you next week here on Wharton Moneyball. Moneyball.